I'd like to ask this morning, who knows who the greatest mom in the world is or, or was? Anybody going to raise your hand? Brother Earl mentioned quite a few wonderful moms in the Bible. And as we celebrate the day that, that we've claimed as Mother's Day, I want to wish you each one a happy Mother's Day, whether you're a mother today or if you have been a mother in the past as a grandmother now, or if you are a child, because obviously you know that your mother was very important to you. I figured I might see a few hands, but even though I didn't, I'm not wanting to get anybody into trouble, especially if your mother is here in the audience and you didn't raise your hand. Because we know that there are great mothers in the world. We know that there were great mothers in the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. Every mom here, every mom that has ever lived, is the greatest mom that I've ever known. That's something we need to consider because as Brother Earl prayed, the mom or the mother is one of those that leads us in our lives. And we're very thankful for each one of you that are here today. But today we're going to look at a very special mom. But first, for you last minute shoppers, especially you younger folks who try to put things off until the last minute, here's 10 things not to get your mom or your wife today if you've not bought that present yet. First thing is a fishing pole. No matter how much she may tell you she likes to fish, it's not a good present. The next one is exercise equipment. Don't give your mom any kind of dumbbells or anything like that today. The third one, and one of those that I'm you know, probably guilty of myself in the past, anti-aging cream. Don't give your mom anti-aging cream. A homemade card, especially if you're over the age of 10, 11, 12, 13. <laughs> So don't give your mom a homemade card where you, where you just printed it up and colored it in. Unless you're in that age group that you can and get away with it. The coolest gadget that you can ever find. You know what, guys? <laughs> Women don't care how smart your phone is. <laughs> they don't care. They just want a phone. All right? Don't give them the best gadget thinking you'll get it back. You might <laughs> when it doesn't work. Don't get them stockings or hose that come in those little egg-shaped containers. You know, we don't see those as much. You know why? Because you never get the right color or the right size. There's too many of them. I remember when I worked at the drugstore, we had four foot of those things. I mean, ladies, come on. <laughs> why do you got to have different colors? Don't get any of those cutesy license plates or bumper stickers or the keychains that say Mom's Taxi or things like that. Especially don't get them a gift card to McDonald's. Number nine, one of my favorites. A Chia pet. And then number 10, I'm guilty of myself, a regifting of something that she gave you to start with. Don't give that to your mom. It doesn't work. Our text today is over in John chapter 19. I want to talk about this mother who shows a great servanthood in her motherhood, if you will. <clears throat> Brother Earl didn't mention her in his prayer, but that's okay because you all know who she is. Of course, I'm talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. John chapter 19, our passage here in verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. My title today for the lesson is called, I Love You, Mom. And I want us to explore Mary just a little bit. I want us to understand the, the earthly being that Mary was. She was the mother of Christ. 
Mary as an expectant mother, if you would turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. I think we get one of the best accounts of the explanation of who Mary was when she's told who she's going to be. In chapter 1, starting verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, in other words, engaged, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, and as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We have a beautiful story of the immaculate conception there of Mary. Now I want to take you back to that day and think about Mary. And I, I, asked, uh, I actually asked my wife and I asked Brian yesterday, how old was Mary when she gave birth to Jesus? We don't have that example given in the Bible exactly. Tradition said that she might have been a younger lady, and, and very likely so. But as we put ourselves back in her shoes, I want you to think about what the text tells us there. She was unwed at the time. She was engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And we know that being engaged or betrothed doesn't mean that they're married. So Joseph had no right to her in a sexual manner at that point, but neither did any other man. So when the angel of the Lord comes and, and tells Mary that you're going to bear a child, and she kind of scratches her head and says, how's that when I've not been with a man? And she especially had not been with Joseph. We know that that was an immaculate conception. There's no doubt whatsoever. Joseph didn't understand it at first, and it says there in the text that he was ready to put her away. Now, do you all understand what that means? We read through that, and we think about it, but I'm not real sure that we really get it. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorcement, puts it in her hand, and sends her out to his house. You see, Joseph, if he had not realized what the angel was telling him, he had every right to do what? He had every right to put Mary out, to get rid of her. Because being a child would have meant that she had been unfaithful and that she had done something she shouldn't have done that she had no right to do before being married. Now I want you to think about that, and especially you younger folks, put that in your mind. You know, we talk about things that would have happened today in today's time. I, I asked in Bible study if we could live by the old laws in Leviticus, and it would be very tough. I, I don't think we could. Certain things that we certainly could not do today, such as travel more than one mile. You know, anybody that's here that's more than more than a mile, a mile and a quarter, as, as the, the Sabbath day gave rule that they couldn't travel more than that, we shouldn't be here if we're going to apply it to the old laws. But I'm thankful that those old laws have been nailed to the cross and that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it, as we talked about. 
And he gave us a new law, and that was the greatest commands that he gave. But he also brought forth most of those ten commandments. Nine out of ten were brought forward. As we look at that, one of those we know was, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, Mary and Joseph weren't married just yet. But if you look at the definition of adultery, it's tied real closely to fornication. It's tied real closely to sexual immorality. So here we have this, this, this mother that's expecting and Joseph doesn't know what to do. And the angel of the Lord tells him what to do. But what could we have seen happen in today's time? I ran into somebody the other day that, <clears throat> a few weeks ago actually, that someone else had told me that they were expecting their fourth child. And it was a daughter. Fourth daughter. And I made mention to him when I saw him. I said, I haven't seen this person in a couple of years. And I just happened to see her. And uh, she said something about her new addition. Well, you know, the awkward moment it was. I said, yeah, I heard y'all are having another little girl. She said, I was talking about my dog. We decided not to have the baby. Now, y'all can read into that what you want. <laughs> Think about Mary. Would she have been faced with that decision? Would she have made that decision if it was, you know, would people around her say, oh, well, just get an abortion. It's okay. It's okay. Move forward. Go about your life. Can you imagine? <laughs> adoption. You know, giving a child up for adoption. Maybe that would have been the case. Joseph hides her away and, and gives her up for adoption. But, you know, Joseph was told what to do. He was told, you take this woman because the baby that's in her, in her is of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to second guess what Mary did. Thankfully, everything worked out. Now, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. I want, I want to read you something here that's, that's very evident in Scripture. It's called the Song of Mary or the Magnificent. And Mary said in verse 46 of chapter 1, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And then it says in verse 56, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Mary finds blessing from the Lord. And she explains what this blessing means to her. Now I find it very interesting, if you go back a couple of verses into verse 42, this is when Elizabeth is coming to meet Mary. It says in verse 42 that she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now this is Elizabeth, and y'all remember who Elizabeth is? She's the mother of John the Baptist. And as she comes to Mary to tell her all about this that she's been told through the angel, 
Gabriel tells her these things, then as we look out and, and we see that Mary is, is happy. She's singing a song. She's singing great blessings unto the Lord. She magnifies Him, it says. Can't you picture Mary being a loving mother, no matter her age, whether she'd be 15 or 45? It doesn't matter how old she was. She knew what God wanted her to do. So let's move on to the next segment. <clears throat> if you remember back in, back in the text, our lesson text, it said, Woman, behold thy son. The text says that the disciple whom he loved was standing there. Now John, I think, is one of the most humble people that we can find in the Bible. Because he never names himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. We're going to look at some verses in a minute to, to show us that this evidently means John himself. But let's move over to John. He was the disciple whom he loved. And Jesus pointed out to him, Woman, behold thy son. And son, behold thy mother. John chapter 20. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. John writes of himself many times. In John chapter 13. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. You know, in John chapter 21, there's a story there where where Jesus had come back to the earth and Peter and the apostles had gone out, excuse me, and some of them had gone fishing. And they'd gone to, uh, uh, to eat breakfast there with the Lord. And, and as we read the story and look at it, excuse me, getting some pollen in my throat today. In verse 1 it says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had yet now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now... They were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Watch verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. That story continues on. We're going to pick up another verse or two a little bit later on that. But as we look at that, we can see that John is certainly describing himself. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. What a humble servant that he wouldn't even say that it was him that Jesus was talking about. They go back to that setting. John chapter 19. I don't have to remind you probably, this is on the cross. Jesus had been arrested. He had been falsely accused. And his peers or the government at that time, sentenced him to death on the cross, the cruelest death around. And our text says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So here we have the setting. Jesus is on the cross. Bearing the iniquity of sins for us all. Being there. Such pain and agony of the physical body. We know there were seven saints that were on the cross there. We know that as he went through these things, this was, if you, if you look at a chronological history of the way the Gospels are put together, this was probably the third thing that he said. Of course, the first one being, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But he looks out from the cross. He looks out and he sees Mary. Now think of how awkward that that's going to be. Not just for Jesus, but also for Mary. There she is, standing at the foot of the cross, watching her son being murdered. Do you not think anybody knew who she was? I think certainly after Jesus had lived on this earth for 33 and 3rd years, they knew who Mary was. They knew that was the mother of the living God. They knew it was the mother of Christ. But not only is she standing there, but here's this disciple whom he loved, John. Now if you remember just a few hours before that, all the disciples had fled. They were scared. But here comes John walking back up to the foot of the cross. Did people not know who John was? How awkward situation. They're sitting there watching. John watching his, his, his brother, if you will. Not his real brother, but his, his godly brother, Christ on the cross. And watching his mother. And they're watching him. And then he says these things to them. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. What was the purpose of this? Why was the, why was the whole setting there? Well, I'm going to tell you. As I've titled the lesson. I see Jesus there saying, I love you, Mom. You know, when you look at, at Scripture, as we see that, that Mary was probably most likely a widow at this point, we don't read much about Joseph after Jesus was about 12 years old. But more than likely, Mary is a widow because she's mentioned only by herself many times or with other women. So what was the purpose? I'm going to tell you, the purpose was that Jesus loved his mother so much he wanted her taken care of. But also he loved his disciple so much that he wanted the companionship of a mother for John. We don't know, you know, at that point what the relationship was with John and his own mother. We don't know exactly where everything stood there. But I do know this. Later on when Paul teaches Timothy and talks about widows, he talks about who's to care for them. Obviously we know that that if there's a family and one person dies in that family and there's many brothers and sisters there, they're probably expected to take care of their mother, wouldn't you think? Well, think about this just a minute. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 and 56, it says, Is not this his mother and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters 
Are they not all with us? You see, Jesus had plenty of earthly brothers and sisters. There was no problem with that. There was no problem with one of those brothers and sisters taking care of their, their parents. How awkward was that for them? If they were standing there at the cross, I don't know that they were, but if they were, if they were watching Jesus crucified, can you imagine the feeling they would have when Jesus sort of, if you would, betrays them? Says, you're not good enough to take care of my mother? <laughs> I want my disciple, John, to take care of my mother. How much faith has he put in John there? How much love has he endured on John and said, I want you to take care of my mother for the rest of her days? Because remember, the text says that, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We don't read the final outcome, but most likely she lived with John for quite some time until she passed. And we know that John also was given great years. He was given many years. And it was sort of suggesting that Mary was taken care of by him the entire time. What was John's reward? What's his, what's his place in this? You know, when we talk about Mary, certainly Jesus shows his love for Mary by, by putting that task on John's shoulders. But what about John's reward? You know, if you've never visited with an aging widow, you may not understand. You may not understand the, the depth of love that can be felt there. You may not understand what John had to, had to embrace at that point. But it was Jesus' own mother. <coughs> Now, his disciples loved him. You would think that, you know, many times you hear people's dying wishes. And sometimes those dying wishes might be take care of my child or take care of my mother or my father. Would that not be one of the greatest things somebody could ask you to do is take care of their loved one? Jesus gave John precedence over his own half-siblings or his own physical brothers and sisters. But you know, I wonder if that wasn't because, if you remember, his own brothers didn't even believe that he was, that he was who he said he was at the time. Thankfully, I don't know if all of them came around, but most of them came around to understand that he was the Son of God. As you look at that, and we look at the text still in John chapter 19, especially where Jesus says, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Here he is, hanging on this cross. He's not worried about himself. He's sitting there with the nails in his hands and in his feet. Sitting there with a thorn crown on his brow. He's dying with our sins on his shoulders. And he looks at his mother. He says, I love you. Text doesn't say that. He starts out by saying, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. And moments later, he says to the thief or the transgressor, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I think when we read through those, we lose the emotion. I think that sometimes when we look at that text and we see Jesus saying these things. We say them just like I said them. In a calm, laid-back manner. But that's not the way they're written. In your Bible, I know it's in my Bible, and most translations I've looked at, there's an exclamation point at the end of Behold thy son and Behold your mother. Exclamation meaning power in the statement. When he named his mother and he named the disciple whom he loved, there was power 
in this statement that he gave. This wasn't a statement for the two of them to mourn that he was hanging on the cross, was it? It wasn't a time for them to think about the, his death. It was a time for them to think about their lives. You know, Jesus, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. And as he did that, there were, there, there were those that were there watching, those that were there grieving with him, those that were there just to witness it, and then there were those that were scoffing at him, mocking him, spitting on him. And here he is showing his love for two precious souls that stood there at the foot of the cross. Can't you see his eyes, the look he's given, the love that's deep in him, yet the boldness in the statements that he makes. His heart opening up one last time in that bodily sense. Like I said, it's not in the text, but I, I, I can visualize myself seeing him saying, I love you, to his mother and to John. There were four more statements that Jesus made, and two of them are listed in the next three verses in our passage there. It says that he, knowing that all things were done, he said, I thirst, and they gave him sour vinegar sponge to drink. And then he said, it is finished. Two of those three things said afterwards, right after he made this proclamation of love to his mother and to John. What greater love can be shown than a man that lays down his life for another? We, we know that from the text, that Jesus gave his life for us. When you look at that, you have to ask yourself the question, do you love Jesus? Have you been obedient to him in salvation? Or have you strayed so far from the cross that when Jesus says, I love you, that he can't even be heard? You know, we look past it and we, we think, well, he's not talking to me. He is talking to you. Because no matter how much he loved Mary, no matter how much he, he put his faith into John to take care of Mary and for Mary to take care of John, I want you to hear what was said when he was preaching. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. Obviously speaking of Mary. This person was giving praise to Mary. I want you to look at what Jesus said. Verse 28, but he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, as Jesus gave his blessings towards Mary and towards John on that day of the cross, Jesus told him, I love you, in his own way. <laughs> Jesus tells us he loves us when we're, when we're faithful to him. He tells us that he, his love will, will be powerful and magnificent. But he puts it back into step right there in Luke chapter 11. He says, you know what? Blessed more is the person that believes and who keeps my word. Today we honor our mothers we honor those in our audience that are mothers. We appreciate you very dearly. But there's something we must do that's more, far more greater than anything we can do here on this earth, and that is to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, that we love him, that we're going to take care of not only his mother, our mother, but we're going to love him, and we're going to take care of all those that he asked us to. And we do that by spreading his word, telling others about him, but you know what? He says, keep my words. He tells us to be baptized for the remission of sins. 
That's how we become a child of God. That's how we become a disciple that he loves. And that's how we enter heaven, is by becoming a Christian. Living faithful. Are you still standing there at the cross this morning? Are you mocking Jesus? Are you saying, I'm not going to be baptized? I know you said it, but I don't care. Or have you walked away from the cross and been unfaithful? If you have any need today, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. You know, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. Present your lives as a living sacrifice. And what that means is to turn everything over to God. And if you've not done that, or if you've done it and fell back into the world, now's the time to make it right. Won't you come, I'll stand and sing.